1 Corinthians chapter 16. You might notice again that we, we didn't really go with a particular Father's Day message, but we uh, got a, a few things in here about fathers. A small boy is sent to bed by his father. Anybody familiar with that? Okay. Five minutes later, he, he hears, Dad. What? I'm thirsty. Can you bring me a, a drink of water? No, you had your chance. Lights out. Five minutes later, Dad. Anybody familiar with this? What? I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink of water? I told you no. If you ask again, I'll have to spank you. Five minutes later, Dad, what? When you come in to spank me, can you bring me a drink of water? (laughs) Dads get no respect. Here's another example. A mother was tucking her little boy in bed as a thunderstorm was approaching. He asked her if she would sleep with him. Her answer was that no, she couldn't because she was going to be sleeping with daddy. As she was leaving the room, turning off the light, she could hear her son say, just under his breath, the big sissy. (laughs) Dads get no respect. Well, if you've been with us, you know that Paul was the, well, the spiritual father of the Corinthians. He got no respect. Um, He's taken them out Throughout this whole, this whole uh, book, he's pretty much taken these guys out to the woodshed on a number of issues. Chapter 16, he finally comes to his closing remarks. And we're going to only get to uh, verse 9, and that's appropriate because you guys know when a preacher says, in closing, it means he's got about an hour or so left. So we're going to only look at verses 1 through 9, but I have an outline for you, if you guys are interested, for the whole chapter. Ready? Verses 1 through 4. These are all have the word out in them. Verses 1 through 4, Paul expects these guys to help out the church in Jerusalem. Verses 5 through 9, Paul will lay out his plans to visit Corinth. In verses 10 through 12, Paul will send out, he's going to talk about the, those he will send out of his colleagues back to Corinth. Verses 15 through 18, Paul points out faithful workers in their midst. Verse 19 to 20, well, it's a shout-out from Asia. It's from the, the folks that are with Paul, as he writes. And then lastly, the last few verses, verse 21 to 23, Paul closes out his letter in his own hand. We're only going to look at those first two today. Verses 1 through 4, Paul expects these guys in the church of Corinth to help out the church in Jerusalem. Let's read it. Now concerning chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there may be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Paul expected every church that he founded to help out the saints in Jerusalem who were in poverty. You guys know why the saints in Jerusalem were in poverty? Why were they so poor? Well, if we go through the book of Acts, if you remember, there's several reasons. For instance, Acts chapter 2, every saint had sold what they had and they were living in a, a commune kind of situation. They divided up what they had among the whole group. Acts chapter 6... The church 
is responsible for, takes in all the widows that they basically can find in their midst. Um, Acts chapter 11, though, a big famine hits. Now, if you remember, the, the prophet Agabus said, look, there's going to be a famine hit, so we need to uh, have a collection for these guys. But probably the biggest factor for the, the poverty in Jerusalem, in the church, was this. Excommunication. Think about it. Jerusalem was the cradle of the church, right? But it's also the headquarters of Judaism. Every person that con- converted from Judaism to Christianity was excommunicated. They were cut off from the church. Now, even today, strict Jews will mourn if their sons or daughters claim Jesus is the Messiah. Many will declare their sons or their daughters dead. But imagine back then, Jerusalem, of all places. I mean, if you were kicked out of the church in Jerusalem, this, this was not just a disapproving look. This, this meant that a good Jew could not buy or sell you anything. So imagine the price that was paid by these guys who uh, claimed Jesus as their Savior but couldn't do any business in their own hometown. To follow Christ meant tr- to truly lay down your life and your livelihood. So Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints in Jerusalem, we find out as we read, As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. So next he's going to lay out how to give. Now, here at Calvary Chapel of the Lakes, you guys know, we don't take an offering. But you know God still expects you to give. If you've been here any length of time, you know that we don't badger you about giving. Hopefully it's refreshing to come to a place where money is not the focus. I think so. So much of the time you see guys who talk about money all the time in the pulpit. Um, We only talk about money when we come to it in the Bible. Like today. You guys are so lucky. (laughs) Now I guess it's appropriate on Father's Day. Fathers know about money, right? Fathers know how to bring it in. They know how to watch it fly out the door. A dad can tell you how much everything costs, right? My dad, his thing was, do you know how much this would cost you if you went to a restaurant? Um, Here's some things you won't hear a father say, okay? Here's some things. Let's see. uh, I love your tattoo. We should both get one of those. Here's another thing you won't hear your dad say. Here, you take the remote. Here's something you won't hear your dad say. Well, how about that? I'm lost. Looks like we'll have to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> Here's another one. You know, Pumpkin, now that you're 13, you'll be ready for unchaperoned car dates. Won't that be fun? <laughs> Not going to happen. I noticed that all your friends have a certain hostile attitude. I like that. Here's one. What do you mean you want to play football, son? Figure skating's not good enough for you? Here's another one. Your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might want to consider throwing a party. No son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring. Now quit your bill aching and let's go to the mall. Why do you want to go get a job? I make plenty of money for you to spend. And lastly, here's the keys to my new car and the credit card. Go crazy. Fathers know about money, right? It's funny because on Mother's Day, we did the same thing. We just went through the scriptures. We, we ended at agape love for Mother's Day. Father's Day, it's all about money. 
about giving. <laughs> um, verse 2. He gives us some instructions about giving. He says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Paul's talking about this uh, collection for the saints in Jerusalem. But there's really practical principles in here that it occurred to me, you know, we've never actually said these as uh, something that you can have a guideline for how to give. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here. First, who is to give? Well, it says, let each one of you lay something aside. The word hekastos is each and every one. That means every believer. Now, if you're you're visiting here at the church, I'm not asking you, not saying that you uh, need to be giving here. But if you're a believer in Christ, you need to be giving somewhere because it says each and every believer. So take out your wallets. We'll start over. No. Paul expected everyone to give something, not just the rich. Not just those who add extra. Everyone. Paul expected, God expects, everyone who calls upon his name to be a giver. Think about that. Giving away stuff is the mark of a believer. We sang a song, spent three or four minutes singing a song. You're the one and only one who died to give it all away for me. Jesus gave it all away for you and for me. And every time you drop something in that box, we'll never pass something around and make you feel like I have to, but every time you drop something in that box, you are learning to give it away. Now, let me, let me push it just a little bit further again. Only what the, the, the Bible is saying here. If you are following Christ and you are not giving to his church, somehow, you should be. If you have no intention of giving, we will never pressure you. But it is worth self-examination because are you calling yourself a Christian but holding back in that area? That sounds like the rich young ruler who just kept back. The only thing that kept him from following Christ was the, the space of his wallet. Now, understand, it wasn't his wallet that kept him from Jesus. It was his heart that had him following after another God. It's very clear here. Paul expected every believer to give. If you're an unbeliever, why in the world would you give? Because what we're going to learn as we go is that Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. If you haven't received anything, certainly don't give. God expects every believer who has received from him to give. Now, how to give. Verse 2. Paul gives four instructions on how we should give. Number one, give first. Look at verse verse 2. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. Don't wait till the last day of the week to see what's left over for God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this. We just barely touched on it because the scriptures just barely touched on it. The idea of first fruits. It was a Jewish holiday. The idea was that you you would give uh, the first batch of wheat that came out of the ground. You would give it back to God as an offering. And that reminded you that, look, it all comes from him. It was a way of saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you to bring the harvest. It was a a way of saying, Lord, you deserve the best, not the leftovers. Now, I know that our church has givers. (laughs) We must because we have a nice saving set set aside toward a building. We have we've given a lot of money to missionaries already. When you give, and I hope you do, are you giving him the first fruits 
Or are you giving him the leftovers? Lisa and I, we have a policy. God always gets the first portion because it's all his anyway. It's like the same day we get the check or the same day we deposit it before we spend any of it. The tithe check, the, the portion that we have predetermined we want to give to him is written first. Now, just so you know, the board runs the church the same way. Every deposit right off the top, at least 10 percent goes to missions. Actually, over the last two years, what we try to do is to increase it. We're up to 12 percent now that we are making sure that we set aside to give away to missions. Some of your money that you guys are faithful to give is going to Peru uh, for orphanage. Um, Some of it's going over to the Sudan where they really need it. Some of it is going uh, to Asia where um, Todd and Becky are um, uh, translating the scriptures for those folks. Every deposit, at least 10% goes to missions. And what's amazing to me is that God still blesses us. I mean, not still blesses us, but we write the check and then we just know that he's going to provide for us. And he has. It's amazing that we're even considering being able to purchase a building at this point. It really is. It's because God is good. Here's the point, and I'm, I'm like wondering how many of you guys are going. It's my first or second time here. Oh, they're all, he's just like all the rest of them. They're just talking about money. I promise it's not that way. Come back, you'll see. God never intended us to be containers. He intends for us to be conduits. Think about it. He gives us love. He doesn't want us to keep it to ourselves. He wants us to give it away. He gives us forgiveness. He doesn't want us to keep it to ourselves. He wants us to give it away. He gives us money and he doesn't want us to keep it. He wants us to give it away. This goes along, by the way, with the second principle. First principle, give first. Second, not only does God want us to give first, but he wants us to give habitually. He wants us to give regularly. Look at verse two again. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. Pop quiz. How long is it until next Sunday? A week? Oh, wow, you guys are good. Seven days, right? Um, is there any chance that it will be four days until next Sunday? Any chance it will be ten days till next Sunday? No. The first day of the week comes around really pretty regularly. And Paul says that's how our giving should be. That's how our, how our giving should be is regular. Now, Paul's not saying, look, here's a rigid law you have to live by. It has to be. You have to write your check. Don't write your check any other day except for Sunday. No. What he's talking about is having a habit of giving. I know some of you guys are teachers, and I think they, they, if you want them to, they load you down with all this money at the beginning of the summer. You're like, oh, how am I going to do this, right? Paul's not saying, look, it has to be exactly like this. He wants us to have a habit of giving. I had a thought. Um, I wonder, and I don't know if I'm, oh, by the way, I don't know at all who gives what. So just so you know, in case you think I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe he's saying this to me. He waited till I showed up. None of that. Now, I have no idea who gives anything. Okay, but I have a wondering sometimes if there might be some people in our church who are waiting until the church really needs it. Waiting until the church just really needs income. You're not in the habit of giving. Um, how many of you came from a background, this won't be indicting to you, I promise. How many came from a background where the church has a big thermometer on the side? You know, they say, look, are you going to give $40,000? And you know, okay, now we're, we're almost there. Um, the, uh, the radio station, they did that just this last week, right? Um, where, where they say, give sacrificially, give, uh, dig deep. Um, 
You see it in a lot of TV ministries, which is exactly why we have a box in the back. We're not interested in that kind of a reputation. Um, We don't do that kind of thing. And so if you do it logically, if you're waiting around till someone is going to say, look, we really need this. We you really got to dig deep at this church. You're going to be waiting a long time. If if you were to come to me and say, you know, I'm thinking about giving, does the church really need it? Well, I could say one of two things, and they'd both be true. I could say, well, do we need it? Let's see. We're meeting in a YMCA. (laughs) Last Thursday, we were meeting at the Nazarene Church. We had like 11 kids and four adults in this tiny room. Um, The air conditioning isn't working. Apparently, you can tell, right? Do we need it? I could answer that way, but I could also say, wait a second. Do we need it? Well, we're meeting. There's a place where we get to meet. God is providing every single time. God is providing for us as we are faithful. The point is that God is not at all concerned about the amount that you give or the uh, style in which you give. He's not waiting for some huge, splashy gift from you that will uh, let the church be able to buy a building. What he's concerned about is you, how you're growing. Are you in a habit of giving? Again, every day should be me practicing on how to learn to give it away. If everyone was in the habit of giving, I know for sure that every need in, in, in this church would be met, including a building. But that's not, the, that's not the goal. The goal is that God wants us to be built up because you are the church, right? He wants to build you up. And that includes a habit of learning to give, not just financially, but in every way to give. All right. So number one, he says to give first. Number two, give regularly. But number three, give proportionately. Number two, or verse two. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. If God is giving you much, Paul says you should be giving much. Again, we are not to be containers, we're to be conduits. Jesus says, Matthew 6, you can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. Verse 19 to 20, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever you put all the stuff that God gives you, that's where your heart's going to end up, right? And Luke chapter 12, even more convicting. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, I love that, say to my soul, Soul, You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Verse 2 says, storing up as he may prosper. The idea is that you're going to store up somewhere, right? You're either going to store up for yourself or you're going to store up for God. And where, where you put that that storage, where you store those things, um, Jesus says, if you, if you store it here on earth, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be eaten by moth, my moths, by uh, rust, all that stuff. But if you store it in heaven, it will re, uh, return to you with uh, 
interest, right? But he says if you decide to just store it and say to yourself, hmm, I'm doing really well now. I think I'll just build another barn. He says then <laughs> the Bible calls you a fool. Sorry. Now, again, when you get to a message like this, you're like, How, you know, what are people thinking? Are they thinking I'm beating them into, into uh, giving? I know that we must have some people that really get this. We must. Again, we live by this principle. We're giving more and more away and more and more is coming in. So believe me, I am not beating the sheep saying you guys need to do more because I don't know what you give. But it says here that we should store up as we may prosper. <laughs> Joe Foch, the, the pastor in Philadelphia, I like to quote him a lot. <laughs> he says, look, there's no place in the, in the New Testament where it says specifically about the tithe. I personally think it's a good uh, it's a good place to start. It's a good indicator because it is proportional, right? If you pick any percentage, you get, you get more, you give more, right? But Joe Foch says, look, never talks about in the New Testament a specific tithe. He says, if you're only making $10,000 a year, he says, we don't really want you to necessarily give 1,000 of those dollars to us. He's like, you know, feed your family. Like, pray about what you should give. It's very clear that everybody should give, but it might not be that percentage. <laughs> but he says, on the other hand, if the Lord gives you $10 million, we want half. <laughs> and, and he's like, you know, I'm, it sounds like I'm joking. He's like, but if, if you can't live off $5 million, that's between you and the Lord, right? <laughs> it just says here, all it says is that we are to give first off the top. Not give him our leftovers. We're to give regularly, have a habit of giving, but also give proportionately. If God is blessing you, then that's awesome. But give it away. Not all of it, right? But, but more than if um, you are, are struggling to survive. Okay? Guidelines for giving. Give the first fruits. Give regularly, habitually. Give proportionately as you prosper. And this is the most important. This will free you up some. Give freely. Give freely. Don't you dare write a check bigger than you were going to today because of this message. Now, if you are convicted that you need to get into a habit of giving, then that's wonderful. But look at verse 2. It says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Paul says, look. This is something that you should take care of ahead of time. It's something you should have settled in your heart between you and God. Don't let anybody pressure you into it. Paul's like, I don't want there to be, okay, Paul's in town. You know, he's written us this letter. Can you imagine? There's this big push when Paul gets into town. You're in the front row, and Paul just, you know, he's waiting to speak. He, he sits down beside you. And um, an elder says, okay, Paul, you know, the, the offering that Paul's been talking about? Okay, we need to take it now. And he's sitting right next to you. It's like he's looking at you and you're like, okay, I'm just going to write a check. Even if it bounces, I'm just going to write it. <laughs> Matthew 10 verse 8 says, freely you have received, so freely give. Freely you have received, so freely give. Under no coercion, under no duress, freely you have received, freely give. I hope... For those of you, again, who call this your home, your church home, I hope you're receiving stuff here for free. I hope you are. Care for your kids. Instruction for your kids. 
a time free of distraction to worship the God of the universe. Hopefully you're receiving sound teaching. I know it's free, but I don't know if it's good. (laughs) Godly instruction. Prayer is available for you today for free. There's a lot of stuff being given here for free. And you know why? Because we've already been given so much. Romans 8.32 says that God did not hold back his own son from us. That's why we do this for free. That's why still yet, until the Lord makes it impossible, I, I intend not to have a salary. It's because he has given so much for free. So many people are doing so much for free. Freely we have received from him, so freely we give. But that's not just a command to the church corporately. That's a command to you. If you have received freely, freely give. Not under coercion, under duress, freely. That's why we have the box in the back. Look, if you really don't want to give, don't. There's, there's, there's no camera in, over the box over there, right? Keeping track of anybody. It's an idea. No. Um, I don't know who gives. I don't want to know. If you listen to this message and write out a, a check begrudgingly, the Bible says there's no reward for you in heaven. Well, why would we want that? Why would we want to force you into something and then have you lose your reward in heaven? But if you listen to the message and you say, you know what, Lord, you're right. I have been given much and I want to give freely, then go for it. All right, how to give? First, give your first fruits, give habitually, give proportionately, and most of all, give freely. Now, Paul tells you what you can expect to happen if you give. Verse 3, he says, And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Paul says, basically, I don't want to carry the money. It's like, I want you to take a collection. I, ex- I expect everybody to give. I won't know who gives. He says, but I don't want you to hand me the money and expect me to go to Jerusalem. Basically, he says, you pick out godly men out of your... Uh, congregation who will carry this gift to Jerusalem. He says, if you want me to go with them, I'll go, but I'm not carrying it. I don't want the possession of your gift. Here's the deal. You can expect accountability to God when you give. Again, I I have no idea who gives or how much. I never see the checks. I don't deposit them, anything like that. The only thing that I know about who gives is that I know that all of the leaders, all the guys that are on the leadership team give regularly. Because I don't believe that God wants me to place uh, as much trust as I have to in these guys if they don't trust God with their money. But I don't ever see it. Uh, we, don't, we don't know anything about who gives. The way it happens is two godly men will, will pray and they'll count together, making sure that uh, everything is, is uh, deposited and uh, the missions is taken off the top. And just, again, like, just like the Corinthians, you guys are supporting people in another land. How cool is that? Um, we have a two, uh, two signature check system. Nobody uh, can purchase anything on a credit card um, that's not approved by the board. All that kind of stuff, okay? Verse 5, he says, Now, I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now, excuse me, for I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you, if the Lord permits. So, we're on to a new section. You guys are like, whew. Verses 1 through 4, Paul laid out, uh, basically he asked them to help out in Jerusalem. Now, verses 5 through 9, Paul lays out 
his plans to visit Corinth. In a nutshell, verses 5 through 9, Paul's basically saying this. Look, guys, I can't come to see you now. I want to. You guys really need someone to come and see you guys now to give you more instruction. He says, but I can't. He says, because if I came now to Corinth, it would be such a short stop. It wouldn't be really helpful. He says, what I want to do now is plan to have a a longer stay. Notice he says, I'm making plans to be there by winter. What would happen is when, when the winter hit? All the shipping lanes would close down. It was too dangerous to travel. So Paul's like, okay, I'm not going to come now, but I, I'm planning to come so that uh, I can spend the winter with you guys and get some real quality time. He's explaining that his heart is really to be with them, but he needs to wait so that he can spend more time with them. What's interesting, though, is this. None of that worked out. None of it worked out the way Paul was planning. He ended up having to make actually a short, painful visit to confront them in some areas that they still had not worked out. He didn't get to spend the really long time that he desired. Paul's plans, the Apostle Paul's plans, did not work out. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Anybody have any plans that don't work out? Have you ever just made plans and they just blow up in your face? (laughs) Maybe I should ask, have you ever had a day go as you expected it in your whole life? Notice verse 6, it says, And it may be, Paul says, that I will remain, or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you, if the Lord permits. You get it? Paul made plans. You know, they say, right, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. It's a good thing to plan. He made plans, but you can tell he has a really loose grip on his plans. He had a healthy perspective. If the Lord permits. Do you have that, plan, that perspective? <laughs> Do I have that perspective? If, if something doesn't go the way you hoped it would, are you all befuzzled? Are you like just completely taken out of your game? Well, you need to remember that God's ways, the Bible says, are higher than our ways. His plans are greater than our plans. Think about that. <laughs> if I have a plan to go here and do this, it's my little plan, and God interrupts it with his plan, why am I so upset? If his plan is greater than my plan. I have a friend who um, this week had uh, his, his uh, spare tire, no, his tire go out and his spare tire go out. And he's sitting there in the car dealership trying to deal with it. Uh, missed a day of work, you know, grumbling to himself. And he meets a guy um, there at the car dealership who is living in his car. He's living in his car. He and his wife and it was, everything was brought into perspective for him, you know? Well, here was my plan, and I was really upset that God took me out of my plan. But here he was. Uh, he not only got perspective on his own life, but he was able to minister to these folks as well. Um, we want to kind of go a little bit short today. Um, and I want to end up with something for fathers. You guys are like, finally, something for fathers. Verse 13, look at it real quick. It says, Watch. Stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Now, in verse 13, there's four different commands, if you will. And all of those are in the the tense that's called the present imperative. What that actually means is to be continually doing these things. Now, if there was ever a prayer for a father this year 
in, in our age, it would be this. Be constantly watching. Be constantly standing fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Um, to watch there means to pay strict attention to. Fathers. My prayer for you, for me, is that we will pay strict attention. We will notice what our kids watch, what they listen to, the friends they have, all of those things that we will pay strict attention to because these are all, by the way, military words. It's like, cool, this is for Father's Day, right? Watch, stand fast in the faith. That means to to hold your ground, right? The, The next generation of Christians, fathers, is watching you. They're watching and they're learning. And sometimes a generation can lose ground in the faith. He says, no, stand fast in the faith. And then he says, be brave, which is probably the best one of all. Because literally, in the Greek, it means be a man. It means man up. We, we tease each other in the leadership, like, have you got your man card? Right? Um, you know, it's like, I can't really fix a car, so I lose points on my man card. But the idea is... We're in a world where you have to be brave. And we don't know how much more brave you're going to need to be in the coming years. He says, be a man, make the hard choices, stand up for Christ. And then it says, be strong. Your faith, your family, your values, all are going to come under attack. I know it. They already are under attack. But they're going to come under even more attack in the future as the day draws near. He says, be a man. And then look at verse 14. What a perfect Uh, addition, what a perfect way to balance verse 13. Let all that you do be done with love. That's agape love. We've we've learned about that over the last few weeks. This is not like this mamby-pamby, wishy-washy kind of love. right? This is an agape love that a man can embrace. Jesus was a carpenter. He worked with his hands. He had no house. It says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This was no wimp. But he loved you, and the way he loved you was by giving it all away. 